0: Last time on HI101, we talked about smallpox, and let's be honest, it was pretty rough. It's a disease that had an overall lethality of around 30%, and that number could easily double in high-risk populations. We talked about early medical understanding of the disease, or lack thereof, as well as its prominent role in first contact between Europeans and native peoples, killing 90 to 95% of the native population of North and South America. This time, we'll turn around and focus more on the efforts to combat the illness, beginning with the earliest and crudest methods and building to its eventual eradication. Let's begin. All right, we're here on HI101 with Jillian Weber. Hi, Adam. Hi, Jill. And we've been talking a lot about smallpox lately. Sure have. Last show was a little bit of a downer. A little bit. A little bit, you could say. A touch, a tad. I suppose. As Um, this horrendous disease ravaged the entire population of the human race yay i was gonna say yay but then i thought (laughs) i I would sound like a jerk i didn't know i didn't didn't know what else i didn't know (laughs) else to respond to my own sentence it's
1: okay that was my impulse too so yeah yeah
0: half-hearted very fake yay so i think this time we're just gonna focus on the good stuff it's all
1: it's all up from here. All
0: up from here. I was going to say uphill, but that's harder than downhill, but that sounds worse. It's a terrible saying.
1: <laughs> we'll work on that later.
0: In the 10th century in China, there was this chancellor who lost his, old, his oldest son to small box. Mm-hmm. And stricken with grief, he called a council of all the local wise men, doctors, magicians, whoever... Could attend this to talk about what they could do to, pre- to prevent such a terrible thing happening to anyone else's family and they all talked and they talked and tried to figure out how they could deal with smallpox and then this uh this divine man came down from a mountain and he said that he had been inspired by the gods and explained to them a process This story sounds crazy because it was written down in the 1800s sometime and is, like, for sure 100% apocryphal. (laughs) But it is one of the sources that we have on a process that people started using to protect themselves from smallpox. Mm -hmm. We've talked a couple of times about some of the unique things about smallpox, like the long incubation time that makes it travel really well. We talked about the fact that you can only get it once. Yep. One of the things that I, I hadn't gotten a chance to t- to touch on yet is that there are actually two forms of smallpox. It's the same virus, but it can show up in two fairly distinct ways. Okay. One called variola major and one called variola minor. As you can guess, minor is just like a whole lot less terrible.
1: I was going to say I feel like you'd want to get the minor one.
0: And for a very long time, you don't really have control over what you get. So, but the thing is <laughs> Uh, the minor form had a lethality rate of more like one to two percent. Two in a hundred, like like one in fifty, is is pretty bad. It's better than one in three. Yes. If you're gonna take your chances, <laughs> just probability in, in the
1: crapshoot of smallpox. Uh
0: huh. So what people kind of figured out again, this happened a long time ago. It Doesn't mean they were dumb. What people kind of figured out was that if you know. If you were in contact with someone else and you had variola minor, and that other person became sick two weeks later, there was a good chance they would also have variola minor. So they realized that they pass on the same form of the disease. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's the same it's the same illness, it's the same virus, but there are two forms of the virus: variola major, variola minor. In terms of progression of the disease, variola minor has a lot less or, or a lot fewer actual uh, pimples, Mm -hmm. it tends to be less hard on your immune system so you're not going to necessarily be like laid out with a fever for a long time. In fact a lot of the time uh, people are ambulatory through most of the disease so they've got horrible bumps all over them but it's closer to like chicken pox levels of bumps rather than your entire face is bubble wrap level of bumps. (laughs)
1: That's a very evocative way of describing it. You've seen the pictures. I have seen the pictures.
0: So they realized, hey, maybe we should just be trying to get the minor version instead of taking our chances with the major version or nothing at all. Mm -hmm. Especially as the disease grew and spread, and more and more people were getting it, and your chances of just getting a form of smallpox were getting higher and higher.
1: To clarify, when were they starting to put pieces together?
0: This is in 10th century China. Okay, still in China yeah. yeah there 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 are some people who, are, who will argue that this started much earlier in India mm-hmm. but that's really inconclusive so we can put that in the maybe category we know it started 10th century China Okay. so what they would do was very similar to the chicken pox parties that we were talking about last time they would try actively to get people sick with the minor form. Mm-hmm. What they realized after a while is that you don't necessarily need the, the the face-to-face contact to get the disease. They realized that the that the scabs themselves carried the illness. Okay. And the thing about getting it face-to-face, like chickenpox party style, is that you can only get so many people taken care of that way, right? Like you can only infect so many people that way. Yeah. A very little minor uh, produces a lot of scabs. And they realized that you know, since the scabs themselves were, were infectious. They, I feel
1: like this is going to be gross, Adam. They
0: started, we, I, I already, I mentioned last time, this is the most disgusting, this is the most disgusting topic. <laughs> this is only the 10th topic I've ever done. I feel like this record's going to stand for a while.
1: <laughs> Yay.
0: They would take them, they would dry them out. They figured how many days after harvesting them, they would be like the most potent, just kind of trial and error. And they would grind it up into a powder, and they would blow it up your nose. They would make you snort smallpox scabs. (sighs) And you would get sick. You would get the disease. You would get the minor form of the disease, and you would feel crappy, and you'd be out of it for a month. And then you would never, ever get smallpox ever again. Mm -hmm. This sounds awful. This sounds terrible, I'd still rather do that than chance it with variola major.
1: Sounds gross, but effective.
0: Very gross, pretty effective. Yeah. I mean, once you get it, you're because it, it works on. They don't understand this, but it works on on uh, exploiting your immune system. In that, once your immune system recog... uh, learns to recognize the variola virus as an intruder and develops the T cells to deal with it next time it shows up it's going to take care of it no problem you're not going to get ill but if the next time it shows up and it's a major form it's already learned it against the minor form so you're never going to get the major form at all great okay, yeah. cool this was originally called inoculation now the problem that we run into calling it inoculation is that now inoculation means the same thing as vaccination yeah back then vaccination and inoculation are two different things it's the same thing as immunization it's the same thing you know so a lot of terms that we throw around really loosely now meant very specific things in terms of smallpox. So another term that they used for this was variolation, variola virus. It was taking the variola virus and introducing it to a person. So we're going to stick with variolation okay. just to avoid confusion with inoculation, which sounds like it could mean just about anything.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Variolation is at least out of use now, so we know exactly what we're dealing with. Variolation is intentionally giving someone the smallpox virus with the intention of giving them the less severe form of the illness in order to uh, create an immunity within their system. Right. Okay? So that's what we're going to talk about now is variolation. This is the first effective treatment against smallpox. Mm -hmm. It was the kind of thing that didn't get really firm footholds really quickly because it's really hard to convince someone to snort a bunch of smallpox scabs?
1: I was sitting here thinking that I was adding smallpox scab harvesting to the bottom of the list of jobs I ever want to have. So, I mean...
0: <laughs> well, I'm not... You know, I... I Here's the thing. I don't know how that works because I, I get the impression, at least later on with variolation, that this was more of a cottage industry. Like, this is something that you would pass around like, you know, someone... Someone at your church got variola minor and everyone's like, great, let us know when they scab over. Can you please save some for us? And they're like, sure, no problem. We'll
1: have a really freaky potluck.
0: Like, you know those breads that they pass around that are constantly fermenting and you like take part of it off? Yes. And then like it it just stays bread forever.
1: It's something you get from your aunt (laughs) with a set of instructions.
0: It's it's like the bread version of a chain letter that you have to pass it along. (laughs)
1: From those cousins you don't really like?
0: Um, I, I get the impression that it was a very communal thing, so it was less that there's some sort of... There, there's there's no medical industry I was say that's it going around it harvesting industry. this stuff. It, it's, it's people... Someone could have made a fortune. Like. People learned that this was a thing that you could do. Now, when it started out, it tended to be like the best of the best physicians realized that this was a procedure that could be risky, but the benefits that weighed and may have had enough influence politically or personally to convince people that it was actually worth the risk because mm. you really have to sell somebody on variolation. Like, let's face it. Yeah. It's, like, come on.
1: <laughs> it's pretty gross.
0: <laughs> I was going to explain thing. further, but I think come on does it justice. <laughs> it's,
1: uh... If you've been paying attention, come on does so it justice.
0: what you get is is you'll get these, these spurts of kind of elites who will have a, a court doctor or something like that will be like, no, what we need to do is find someone with the minor version. We'll make it so that your family will never have to deal with this illness. And the the, the common narrative of this is that someone will die in their family and they'll kind of go, what could we have done to prevent this tragedy kind of mm-hmm. thing? It's very rarely proactive, especially when it first starts out.
2: Yeah.
0: It's usually an act of desperation. Mm-hmm. And understandably so, because we talked about medical understanding last time as being uh, very much what you can see physically, like what makes sense in a very um, human scale manner yeah. on what you can actually see transmitted on what you can actually uh, feel or, or observe smell in some cases with the plague. Um, so the idea that the idea that snorting this powder would prevent you from getting this illness, like they were really going out on a limb by believing these doctors. Yeah. That's a big show of trust on their part. Variolation was pretty popular in China and it kind of made its way into Turkey and India by the 1700s. Probably much earlier than that, but we have t- definitive proof that it was being practiced in Turkey and India in the 1700s, mm-hmm. as well as Africa. Like once the process kind of caught on, on a base level, like once people were doing the, you know, the church group version of it more than the, uh, the court physician version of it, it, it tended to spread pretty well because
1: I imagine people were looking for a solution.
0: Oh, absolutely. And, and it's, it's one of those things that you really have to, there's definitely an aspect of, of desperation to it because you're intentionally infecting yourself and others with smallpox Mm -hmm. with the understanding that it could be very dangerous, but at least it's better than the other version yeah the fact that it was in turkey was important because there was a very very important woman named lady mary wortley montague good name very good name her husband was the diplomat to the ottoman empire turkey and when she was there she heard about this practice of variolation she had lost a brother when she was younger to smallpox Mm -hmm. and she herself had uh had had smallpox, she'd survived it. Horrible scarring from it, like really bad scarring. And people were really self-conscious about their scars. I mean, even when this, like, even when sixty percent of survivors were were coming away with scars, no one's happy with like a messed up face. You know, like you know you know what I mean. Like I, I don't no, know how else right. to put no that. one's but, happy
1: with a messed up face. But,
0: but but as real a part of their everyday life it was. It's still it's still. Bothered them when they when they had scars on their face, just like it would anyone else. I was gonna say
1: people haven't changed that much.
0: I, I, I really leave that in there for the the humanizing factor. It's it's they were not that much different from us. No. She heard about this proce- this process, and when she went back to, to England in 1718, it was kind of on her mind. She had seen a demonstration of it being done. There were variances in how variolation was was performed. The the whole Powder snorting thing was tended to be more um, India and China, and mm-hmm. it tended to stay that way. Another option that way was to take the the powder and kind of put it on on cotton and like stick them up your your nose, mm-hmm. rather than just like blowing it up your nose up directly. Up the
1: nose was the was the tried and true format. Well, yeah, but
0: they, well, they realized that you well through through trial and error they realized that you got it through yeah. breathing it in. So they were they were. Doing exactly what the virus wanted them to do at that point, it was getting straight to the mucous membrane. Mm-hmm. So the other option that you have is rather than using scabs, the uh, uh, if you'll remember the the pox themselves go through a, a number of phases, mm-hmm. and one of them is where they're filled with a clear fluid, which is not really it, it's got a viral load. It's not technically a pus. Mm-hmm. It does not make it better, but they would use that instead of the scabs yeah. and what they would do sometimes is they would make a small cut or scratch usually on the arm mm-hmm. and they would put either this fluid mm-hmm. or powdered scabs in the scratch mm-hmm. and bandage it right this tended to be a little bit more effective than through the respiratory system because When it goes through the respiratory system, it just follows its own natural course, Mm -hmm. right? When it's introduced subdermally, what you get is just like one spot of the disease. And like, yeah, it it does spread throughout the system, but not as effectively as if it goes through the respiratory system into the lymph nodes. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times what you get is a more isolated case and a lot less serious case.
2: Yeah.
0: And you just get this big blister on your arm like this one giant blister Mm -hmm. and it would fill with this fluid and then with a pus and then it would scab and fall off and you'd be left with one scar on your arm and you'd be good
1: no chance of getting smallpox in the future
0: exactly this was still dangerous you still got smallpox the the variola minor Mm -hmm. um, variety of it but it wasn't it wasn't quite as bad
1: now when did they figure out approximately that they that this was a better method in the 1700s
0: yeah yeah it may have been practiced earlier i i don't know again because a lot of this is being done on like a folk level right it's hard to say who first went hey instead of snorting it how about we jam it in a cut on my arm mm-hmm. which i don't know if that sounds better when you're thinking about it intuitively it's hard to look back on this knowing mm-hmm. that it's effective yeah and put yourself in the mindset of someone coming to you and saying listen i want to try something <laughs>
1: Hold still, hold still.
0: <laughs> there was a big outbreak in 1721, so three years after Lady Montague got back to England. Mm-hmm. And she decided, you know, after what had happened to her, after what had happened to her brother, she didn't want the same to happen to her uh, her daughter. So she found a doctor in England. It took her a long time, but she found a doctor in England who was willing to perform this the, uh, the process on her daughter, mm-hmm. had it done, and then um, went on to kind of see if this was actually a process that worked. Again, this... I, I'm, I'm having trouble framing this in a way that sounds like it makes any sense whatsoever, and that's mostly because a lot of what's happening here is a really emotional reaction to a really terrible disease. Mm-hmm. She didn't care whether or not her daughter got smallpox. Mm-hmm. She wanted to give her daughter the best chance of yeah. surviving smallpox that she could. And... If that meant her getting a little bit sick in the process, fine. Mm-hmm. If that meant that maybe the immunity to smallpox wore off somewhere down the road, okay, but at least she would survive to adulthood. Yeah, She's buying her time. Yeah. And all the time that she can buy her is, like, that's, that's all she wants out of this process. Mm-hmm. So this doctor wants to figure out, like, okay, what's, what's actually going on here? You know, the 1700s are here. Royal Society's been founded. We've got science now. <laughs> Let's try some experiments. Yay, science. Let's try some experiments. So he went to a prison, and he found six prisoners that were... Where
1: you start with your experiments.
0: Oh, oh! believe me, we are not done with the exploitation of the, uh, of the marginalized classes in Yay. this story. You thought we left that all in the other episode.
1: Would have liked to have.
0: So, goes to the prison, finds six prisoners... That are all slated to be executed.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And says, I'll make you a deal. You're definitely going to die by hanging. Mm-hmm. But I want to try this thing out on you. And see if it works. I want to I, I stick some smallpox pus in your arm. Get you sick. And then see if, when I do it a second time, if you get sick and die of smallpox.
1: Can I be the prisoner for a second? Sure. What's in it for me?
0: If you survive the smallpox, we'll let you go free. Deal. That's not really such a bad deal. No, it's, it's really not. The story <laughs> sounds, the story starts out sounding like it's going to be a lot worse than it really turns out to be. You won me over. So, I mean, it's a percentages game, right? Yeah. You're 100% going to die or you're like at worst like 30% going to die cuz it turns into variola major and you go through that whole process. Yeah. Not bad. Not bad at all. He tried it out. Turns out it worked pretty well. None of them, like, he he inoculated them all. Sorry, variolated them all. Mm-hmm. Waited until they had gone through the variolated minor, like, about a month that it takes you to get, to get over the illness. Uh, waited a little bit longer and variolated them again. And that time, the spot where they had been variolated didn't blister. They did not get the illness. They didn't run a fever. They were fine. Huh. they came out of it with a scratch on their arm and they went free yeah. all six of them immediately after that the prince of wales had his daughters inoculated uh, variolated yeah. i'm going to keep doing that uh he had his daughters variolated in 1722 to protect all of them so basically lady montague brought variolation to the western world and pretty much set up the trajectory of of Western medicine, taking that and running with it to the smallpox vaccine that we'll kind of recognize down the road. Well done, Her. In 1706, a guy named Cotton Mather, who is a minister in Boston, heard a description of inoculation from uh, his Sudanese slave, whose name was Onesimus, which is is an awesome name. Kind of a sweet name. in in, in 1706 so this was before lady montague had brought it to Mm -hmm. to england which means that inoculation was already being performed in africa because this is where he would have heard it from Mm -hmm. this was a slave that had been captured from sudan so he heard about this and thought that's really interesting couldn't find any doctors who would actually do it for a really long time till finally he found a man named oh i have to look look at this one uh zabdiel boylston We'll call him Dr. Boylston. deal. Man. Finally convinced him. Listen, I heard about what's going on over in England. This whole Lady Montague thing. Yeah. Let's try it out. Like, this is Boston in 1721. Everything's terrible already. <laughs> Couldn't we make it a little bit easier? Just, like, overall. And Dr. Boylston said, yeah, okay, let's give it a shot. He started going around variolating people that would let him or that wanted it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: He variolated 300 people.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: In 1721, six of those people died of smallpox. Mm-hmm. That is less than 2% of the people, of that that sample group of 300 people. The general population, the death toll was a little over 14%. 14%? Th- those seem less like, than 2%.
1: Those seem like good numbers. It's pretty good numbers.
0: So... I mean that really sold variation in the English colonies in the New world, and it was practiced fairly regularly. I mean, even Benjamin Franklin was a big proponent of it in Massachusetts. He had lost a child to smallpox and figured like what like what do we do in here? Yeah. If we've got a method of making this a little bit easier on people, let's let's do it. And it was That's very personal for him. So he was he was big on pushing it in uh, in Massachusetts. It, it, throughout Europe, you saw various, Monarchs and then kind of trickling down throughout society, latching on to variolation. I mean, uh, Louis the Fifteenth was actually the great-grandson of Louis XIV. Mm-hmm. Louis XIV lived for a long time, but when he died, Louis XV was five, and he was his great-grandson. Yeah. Everybody else in the succession line had been wiped out by smallpox. That's why he was Louis the <laughs> Fifteenth louis the 15th himself actually ended up dying of smallpox and when he did his whole family ended up going through variolation process as well so it's spotty it's not it's not everywhere and the other thing that you have to understand is that variolation is not a hygienic process it's kind of the opposite yeah but it's not just about transmitting smallpox you can also transmit things like syphilis along with it or whatever illnesses people have which, at this point in time...
1: Was a lot of stuff. Who
0: knows? I wouldn't just be... Uh, uh, you know, it's better than nothing, I suppose, but the idea of foreign biological tissue is just... Aww. No, no. It's bad. Anyways. There was a, a bit of an outbreak in France after after that had gone down and actually variolation was banned in city po- uh, city centers because there was this fear that if you're giving all of these people smallpox, yeah. you're making all of these people sick, you're going to start a plague by doing this. Mm-hmm. And so they banned all variolation for quite a long time because of this one outbreak, which probably wasn't the, the the fault of the variolation, but at the time they kind of traced it back to variolation. Yeah. What can happen is if a person already has uh, the major form, Mm-hmm an inoculation can kind of ramp it up. Well, no, it, it it can actually um, it can actually mitigate the the symptoms a little bit because okay. what you're getting is like it takes those 12 days to build up, right? Mm-hmm. If sometime in that 12 day space, you can give your immune system a shot of like the fully formed, fully developed virus. Yeah, it's like oh, okay, this is what we're dealing with, and it can actually start kind of cleaning things up before. Uh-huh the the naturally acquired virus can really start doing its thing Mm -hmm. in fact now protocol like if you if somehow you were exposed to smallpox today not gonna happen if you somehow were exposed today the first thing they would do is give you a smallpox vaccine yeah because that would drastically increase your chances of of surviving this process that you would have to go through
1: right interesting
0: yeah it's it's Weird. You think about vaccines that have to come before the... Th- no. No. In this, in this particular case, it actually will help support. It's because there's such a long incubation process. There's a window. There's a window. Yeah, exactly. But anyways, this this plague in France, France, they they traced it back to variolation. It probably wasn't really... but I, I mean, it even could have been because you are mm-hmm. giving people smallpox. But in general, throughout China, throughout India, throughout Europe, throughout North America, you saw really good success with variolation in protecting populations from smallpox it was just very inconsistent yeah you had to have somebody who knows that it exists you have to have somebody well i, I mean <laughs> yeah. the doctors you can't get around that fast all the time mm-hmm. and you aren't always lucky enough to have a really knowledgeable doctor in your community especially if we're talking about north america where it's just like log cabins and stuff yeah. like it's pretty backwards stuff yeah. you had to know, have somebody who knew how to variolate properly because if you leave I mean the, the Chinese had this whole thing set up where even at different times of the year you would leave the scabs different lengths of time really? because because he kills it Yeah, he, he kills the, the virus and they would what you do is if person A is, is giving person B the the, the scabs Person A would give them the scabs right away, and person B would carry it in a, a small vial mm-hmm. uh, next to their body to keep yeah. it at body temperature. Right. Right? And they would keep it longer or shorter depending on how, how warm or how cold it was outside. Mm-hmm. If you don't know that stuff, like if you don't have that body of knowledge, yeah. you could just be giving people material that is completely inert. Right. And it won't do anything to protect them. So is pretty...
1: There was some trial and error.
0: It works well when done perfectly, but it's it's still got a lot of problems. The biggest one of which is that you're still giving the person actual smallpox. Yeah. There's still a 2% fatality rate. That's high. Mm-hmm. That's I, I mean, if there was a disease right now that had a 2% fatality rate that was anywhere close to widespread, there would be panic in the streets. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, what did Ebola have in, in the actual United States? Like, like 30 cases or something was it yeah. even that much no it, it I don't was, think it, was even it was a really handful high. yeah and people just lost their minds front page news yeah now imagine that of every 50 per, every, every 50 people one just dropped dead like and this was just a thing that happened all the time I keep coming back to the numbers but it's so important to understand yeah it's really important
1: it's hard to even understand it because it's not something we deal
0: with absolutely now, some of the other problems that we have with variolation are uh, ethical concerns. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole Hippocratic Oath thing. Do you know first do you no know harm? Yeah. All of that stuff. There were a lot of doctors who looked at this and go, "You're giving people smallpox. That's harm. The, you're not you're not doing something to treat an illness, mm-hmm. and you're not doing something. And this this is an argument that they were making. in In hindsight, it's incorrect, but they're saying. You're not doing anything that will prevent future illness necessarily. What you are doing is actually giving them the illness. Mm-hmm. All you're doing is controlling when they get the, the illness, and that's doing harm because you are inflicting that illness upon that person. Yeah. So, not all doctors were, were okay with that. Mm-hmm. But again, kind of turns to like a, a cottage industry of you know, people doing this themselves or having people who weren't necessarily full physicians doing the processes things like that um and finally we get back to that whole humor thing right because we're still dealing with humors we're up to the 18th century (laughs) we still have all about them we still have miasmas we still have humors hot and dry and associated with the heart and also fire yeah it, it kind of blows my mind a little bit to think that it lasted as long as it did but yep we're we're still sticking with this stuff because if you'll recall, smallpox was a disease of the blood, specifically having too much blood that mm-hmm. fermented within the body. Right. Generally, the first of all, variolation was generally given to children because they were most at risk, mm-hmm. and because you wanted to get people protected from smallpox earlier rather than later, it just yeah. makes sense. Generally, children were bled before the procedure, so they would have left have less because you're giving them smallpox. Yeah. Less blood to ferment makes sense less blood to ferment less sick less boils less chance of dying yeah i say yeah. makes sense because it only kind of does when you <laughs> think about it within a really specific if framework you squint, it makes sense yeah yeah exactly but within that framework it, it, it was a completely sensible uh way of uh, way of approaching a treatment to that Absolutely. second they tended not to feed them too much because foods could also cause fermentation within the body. Mm-hmm. Uh, depending on, you know, whatever characteristics they've decided to assign to them. Yeah. So they figured best to put them on a fast and let some blood before we give them the variolation.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know what's great right before you get smallpox <laughs> is to be starved and and weakened by loss of blood. So <laughs> that made the, that made the procedure more dangerous than it needed to be by yeah. a, a fairly good extent. So it was tricky stuff, but we're moving in the right direction. Now we're going to talk about cowpox.
1: Wait, what? Cowpox. Cowpox, right? Okay, yeah, sure.
0: Cowpox was a pox you got from cows. <laughs> Makes it kind of sense. I say that because I don't know. You get like all sorts of names for stuff. It's it's important to realize that that one's actually it. It, it literally came from from cows. Generally. It wasn't transmittable to humans. It never really took off as like a, a human disease. Mm-hmm. However, people that worked really closely with cattle
2: mm-hmm.
0: or Occasionally with horses because it could kind of get to horses, but mostly with cattle Yeah, could get this disease and really all that you got was boils on your hand and maybe a little bit up your arm
2: mm-hmm.
0: because it was usually people who are milking cows so it was direct contact right. with the with the udders that the cow would give you these these boils and again people not being dumb notice the people who had gotten cowpox didn't get smallpox turns out putting it together turns out the cowpox is actually very 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 closely related to variola it's basically the same virus huh. there's this weird tradition in literature and art in the 18th century of like the lovely milkmaid yes That's because they didn't get smallpox that messed up their faces with smallpox scars. Which is kind of weird.
1: That's kind of awesome. Kind of makes a kind of sense.
0: Kind of makes a kind of sense. So there were these people that were... By the way, cowpox, not fatal. Like, not at all. It's barely barely cut out to be a human disease Mm -hmm. at all. Like, it's really hard to get it. But once you do, it produces this immunity. So people kind of started putting two and two together. There, were, uh, there was a farmer as early as 1774, a guy named uh, Benjamin Jesty that noticed this, and he performed a variolation from a cow to himself and his family, Yeah, and none of them got smallpox. Now, he was a farmer mm-hmm. and never really like he told some people about it but he didn't go any further and so he's kind of been ignored for the most part yeah but like he's definitely not the only one everyone was noticing cowpox yeah so now that cowpox has kind of come onto the stage i think we're going to take a quick break Mm -hmm. and when we come back we're going to really start putting these pieces together and get this whole smallpox thing contained sorted (laughs) right out Okay, we're back on HI one hundred and one. Here with Jillian Weber. Hey. Hey, we're we're looking okay. We've got variation. It's it's better.
1: It's not great, but it's better. It's
0: not great. People are still dying like crazy. Yeah. We're still looking at four hundred thousand deaths a year.
1: Yeah.
0: From smallpox, it's.
1: Uh, it's still pretty sketchy. I
0: yeah I I have trouble just processing that whole thing, but. We've got some people noticing the cowpox. By the way, just point of interest, the mm-hmm. uh, the Latin name for cow is vacca. Is it? It is. A guy, a guy, a doctor named Edward Jenner. <laughs> some dude. Some dude named Edward Jenner comes along and he's noticed this whole milkmaid thing, mm-hmm. the, the association with cowpox. And he's probably heard about it somewhere mm-hmm. that people are doing this whole cross uh cross variolation which isn't technically variolation because again variolation is specifically, specifically given the virus. variola virus to someone making them sick with that disease mm-hmm. and not and not just introducing their that disease to their system but actually making them ill with that mm-hmm. disease
2: mm-hmm.
0: when you're giving someone cowpox to pr- protect them from smallpox that's no longer variolation because you're not giving them smallpox right this is what comes to be called vaccination from VACA, a cow. Huh. So, we use vaccination for everything now, but yeah. that's that's the root of it. Again, one more way that smallpox is just intrinsically linked with our medical history. I had no idea. Yeah. So <laughs> Here's another here's another here's another marginalized person's story. He noticed that he, he had been thinking about this whole cowpox thing for a while. Mm-hmm first thing that he noticed was that there are different kinds of cowpox so not all cowpox because again we get this sort of you get different diseases kind of lumped together when they look similar and when they present sort of similarly yeah Uh, i mean like think about the way people talk about colds and flus these days even and we should know better just
1: observing symptoms and when there's a lot of crossover it's like yeah
0: it's one of those things yeah
1: it's the thing
0: well the first thing he noticed was that, like, okay, gotta make sure we got the right cowpox for this. Mm-hmm. So he studied up on cowpox, made sure that he was he was going for the one that presented the, the proper symptoms. Anything mm-hmm. that was presenting non-smallpox-like symptoms, he was going to rule out. Yeah. He found a, a milkmaid named Sarah Nelms. Yeah. Who had contracted cowpox from her cow, Blossom.
1: All of this still sounds charming.
0: And he went, perfect... And he went out and found his his gardener's son, his gardener's eight year his gardener's eight year old son, James Phipps. And he said, "Come here, kid." <laughs> no, I he, he he discussed it with his father first, and his dad said, "Sure, Come go here, for kid. it." His dad his dad said, "Sure, go for it," which is another one of those points in the story that makes me go, "Like, what?"
1: I'm sure he had like seven or eight.
0: Well, <laughs> I think.
1: He had one to spare.
0: It's not. It's not official, but I think general consensus is that he probably paid his dad. Right. Probably. We're not. Again.
1: Unpo- if something doesn't make sense, the answer is usually money.
0: It's his gardener's kid. <laughs> you know, he slipped him some cash. <laughs> he introduced the cowpox virus to James's arm. Mm-hmm. James felt a little feverish and pretty off for about a week. Yeah. He grew a blister. Blister dried. Blister fell off. Jenner gave him two months or so to recover. Mm-hmm. Because you need downtime after you've been sick. With, from cowpox. From cowpox. <laughs> that your dad's boss gave you.
1: <laughs> right, yeah. Waited
0: two months. And then he variolated him. So he gave him smallpox.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, on both arms. Just to make sure. <laughs> just, Just to be certain. And... James did not produce any symptoms whatsoever. He didn't blister. He didn't feel feverish. He didn't feel nauseous. Mm -hmm. Nothing. The reason that this is significant, even though people have been working with cowpox, is that Jenner did two things that people hadn't done before. Number one, he actually used something that sort of resembles science in that he actually tried variolating immediately after vaccination to prove that vaccination actually protected you against smallpox. Yep. And number two, he published on it, which is, I I mean,
1: wrote it down and signed his name to it.
0: Well, he he published a book and he's a medical doctor and it was published in journals. Eventually when people stopped going like you did what this, uh, this study is what we today would probably label unethical.
1: (laughs) Perhaps,
0: (laughs) There's this weird thing that happens when you look at medical history where you go like...
1: Where you get uncomfortable. Where you go like,
0: oh, I'm super glad that happened. That should never have happened though. Like, it's some good came of this, but I can only say that because these people would have been dead for hundreds of years anyways. <laughs> that was a horrible thing that they did.
1: I'm glad we have some distance between us and this thing.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I can pretend that this is basically a made up story now. <laughs> Oh, by the way, Blossom's hide is like up at a medical museum, <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty great. That is pretty um, great. He continued to very late James Phipps like multiple times after this, just to make sure, because <gasps> <Jesus>. one <laughs> one time, one time could be a fluke.
1: One could definitely a. Fluke. He's
0: doing. Listen, he's doing this science poor, here. This
1: poor
2: kid.
0: He's doing science here. He has How to make old is sure. This kid? Eight. By the time he's stopped doing these, I don't know, like at least nine, maybe ten. Who who knows? Who can
1: be sure? I couldn't
0: find a number on how many times he variolated him. It was just
1: some gardener's kid. I mean, come on.
0: (laughs) I'm going to say, I was about to say to Jenner's credit, which is maybe unfair because I don't know how much credit he deserves for this. But later on, when when this vaccine had been developed, Jenner became a very wealthy man from Mm -hmm. all of this. He actually bought the Phipps family a, a, a home. Like, he just outright bought them a house, which is mm-hmm. as big a deal back then as it is now, mm-hmm. and dedicated the home to to James. Like, it was, it was his as long as he lived there. There's a plaque on it mm-hmm. um, explaining why it was gifted to him, all of that stuff, which... Way to hang in, James. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for not dying of smallpox. It really hammered my point home.
1: I've got a whole Tiny Tim vibe from this story. <laughs> it really
0: does project it, doesn't it? Yep. Yep. from what I understand Phipps was a pretty normal guy not not a lot came out of this but you know he got a he got a house for the rest of his life which at least Jenner tried to make it up to him I guess it's still like it's still super unethical
1: it's interesting that we that we know this kid's name though
0: yeah there, there is that at least I suppose yeah I mean, we are at a point in time where we're getting better at writing things down and keeping <laughs> records of things. I, I don't know. It, it's, it's funny. You get this hazy period where, you know, this is happening in 1796. So yeah. 220 years ago.
2: Uh-huh.
0: You know that, like, 2,000 years ago, most everyday stuff was not getting written down.
2: Yeah,
0: And you know that 10 years ago, most stuff was getting recorded really carefully.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But, like, the spectrum in between, sometimes it's hard to judge how much of like everyday life or of information that might be considered not entirely crucial mm-hmm. is is actually being remembered and recorded and actually passed down. Yeah. Things like what's the name of the kid that you know, the guy who invented the smallpox vaccine, what's the name of the kid that he tested on? Yeah. And I I get what you're saying, and that more like, the, it's more if that it had happened,
1: acknowledgement seems unusual.
0: Yeah, and if it had happened way early, way earlier, you feel like it would just have been an unnamed, yeah. test subject, and yeah. and who knows? It's um, that
1: leap in the in the way it was recorded.
0: Yeah, was we happen to be we happen to be at a juncture here where yeah, it was absolutely well, the, the cow's name was recorded. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But the but the cow's name is so charming. It was Blossom. It was Couldn't blossom. have been any other
0: name. The uh, well, I mean, there is. It it does also help that the the plaque on the the home is still there. I mean, it was it was dedicated to to James. True. So that that does help with the whole remembering what happened there. Once Jenner published his works, two major things happened.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Number one, a lot of people went. Wait, we can. Like, not even get that variola minor 2% chance of dying. We can maybe protect people against smallpox with almost 0% chance of dying. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. The other thing that happened was people went, you're going to put stuff in us that came from inside a cow? That's gross. I don't want
1: cowpox. Don't
0: give me... Don't give me... Listen... If Let me gonna, snort
1: some more of my neighbor's gas. If,
0: if you're going to put a, a clear, not quite pus liquid inside my bandaged arm, I want it to be from a human being, as God intended, not from some, not from some filthy cow.
1: I don't care how charmingly that cow is named.
0: I think this really speaks to how irrational people get about medical stuff yeah and and as, as they have been all along i mean people were just as irrational about variolation until it was proven to have worked mm-hmm. because what do you i have to put what where i have to sniff what now this is yeah. gonna you know it doesn't make sense this is
1: people emotional and irrational
0: <laughs> yeah so this idea of of you know by this time variolation super well established people are like all right i'm i'm okay with this um vaccination Whoa, whoa, whoa! Hold, <laughs> Hold up. The
1: phone. Hold
0: up. It's people are very resistant to change and stuff like that. They really want to make sure that it's safe before they go ahead with it. And test, it I test it
1: on that gardener's kid first.
0: Yeah, I, I can't really. Can we find some more prisoners, please? <laughs> give them some more. Give them some more mortal contracts. Honestly, people want to make sure that it. That it works, like it's it's really hard to take a risk on something, especially when it's this new. And yeah. and I, I can't blame them really. It's it's smallpox is scary enough.
1: I'd like to say I'd be a whole lot better, but
0: I don't know that I would necessarily. I, I'm
1: sure I wouldn't.
0: <laughs> um, you know who did get super on board with this is uh, Charles the Fourth of Spain,
2: mm-hmm.
0: who went. This is great. He got a bunch of his family vaccinated. Mm-hmm went perfect now we don't have to worry about it i am so convinced that this is going to be a good thing that i want all of our colonies in north and south america to start practicing vaccination because mm. i think that it will make them stronger i think it will make them he- it will make them healthier and he went out and he found a doctor well he it, it was his was court doctor basically um francis xavier de balmas mm. and said we need to get this cowpox thing going Everywhere we can. So, Balmus went, okay, cool. How am I supposed to get cowpox over to the Americas? And, like, not even just, like, one spot, but, like, do a tour through South and North America. And he came up with a, a way to do it. Mm-hmm. Because, as you'll remember, even though you don't get really sick with cowpox, yeah. you still do get a blister. Yeah. And inside that blister is more
2: not viral material.
0: Yeah, we can call it that. (laughs) (laughs) And he went, okay, but like the pus isn't going to like last all the way across the ocean. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: But it does show up in your arm. Wait, it only stays in your arm for a while. Unless, unless I go down to the local orphanage. I get me 22 orphans. No. (laughs) And what I'm going to do is I'm going to infect just, just two of them.
2: No. When we leave,
0: I'm going to infect two of them. And like a week later, they'll have a a pustule on their arms. And then I'll take the material from their pustule, and I'll find one of the non-infected orphans that I've brought along, and I'll infect their arm. This was called the arm-to-arm method, and it was actually very common. Because we don't have fridges, and we don't have petri dishes to isolate cultures, and we don't have, I mean, doctors don't wash their hands. like.
1: Did it have to be orphans, though? I mean, where are the prisoners? Come on.
0: <laughs> the way they saw it, in their very, very rose-tinted glasses, was that they were doing these orphans a favor. By the time they got back to Spain, they would have gotten to have seen the world, and there was no chance that they would ever get smallpox. So, what like, what do you want from us? I know. All it right. doesn't make it better. Right. No, no. It's okay. You can still be angry. It's still messed up. Yeah. Yeah. Get get your sailors to, to volunteer to do this, maybe? Yes,
1: yes. Sailors.
0: <laughs> How about that? <laughs> so anyways, he did this big, like, two-year-long tour and got this spread to a number of colonies, and the Spanish were actually quite successful with vaccination going forward from there. Mm-hmm. 1809, so not even, late, like, six years later. And, and I mean, remember, Jenner only published, like, late 1700s. Like, 1798, I think he published his... His work will have to double check on that.
2: Yeah.
0: So like 10 years later, first mandatory vaccinations in Massachusetts, they said, OK, we got to get this smallpox problem let's under control. Let's let's get going by 1832. I hope this helps a little bit. 1832, the U.S. federal government had a program in place for free vaccination of all native peoples from smallpox way too late, but at least... They're taking care of a problem that was still very much in existence at that point mm-hmm. in time to do what they could to, to give immunity to the remaining native peoples. Man, that's a depressing topic. But I was
1: gonna say, so acknowledged.
0: But I mean, this is not that long after mm-hmm. the vaccine was even invented. Yeah. Which, good for them. And this is this is the this is the silverest of silver linings, but 1832, we're also talking about a time where there is a steady march westward across the frontier and they're yes. displacing these people from their homes. Mm-hmm. So despite trying to basically steal all of their ancestral lands, they're still at least giving them a virus from this horrible disease, or, <laughs> a, a vaccine from this horrible disease.
1: It was funnier the first way you said
0: it. <laughs> Awful. It's, it's so upsetting. Throughout this time, variolation is still happening. People still don't really trust the, the vaccines. Uh, by 1840, the British government actually actually banned variolation. They went, look, variolation's too dangerous. Like you're mm-hmm. giving yourself smallpox. Cut that out. Go with vaccination if you're trying to protect yourself. Yeah. And by 1853, vaccination was actually mandatory for a while in Britain. Mm-hmm. That would be repealed later, but there were a solid several decades where it was mandatory that you be vaccinated from smallpox in Britain. Yeah. So they got a whole they got a handle on that as quickly as they really could. Mm-hmm. This is one of the more worrying things that i'm gonna say oh good at some point the disease used in the vaccine became something called vaccinia rather than cowpox Mm -hmm. i don't know what that means not for lack of trying the best of the the best understanding that i have is that cowpox mutated so it wasn't technically cowpox anymore but Mm -hmm. it's still part of the same pox family i don't understand where vaccinia came from or when it began because honestly lab uh, reports and and records weren't all that good and this is from a time before we knew what a virus was Mm -hmm. so we don't know where vaccinia came from whenever they transitioned from cowpox to vaccinia Mm -hmm. all vaccines became vaccinia Mm -hmm. and that is what would be in a smallpox vaccine today it's vaccinia okay i just don't know where that virus came from I think it's a mutated form of cowpox. That's the best I could figure out. Yeah, I looked for a long time to try and figure out what's up with vaccinia.
2: Yeah,
0: I don't know, but now it's vaccinia. So rest easy. But vaccinia is just as effective at.
1: I was going to say I don't have smallpox.
0: Exactly. Do you have smallpox? I not that I know of. Yeah, it's not really it a seems problem. Like it's working. it's, it's, just, not, it's just a weird hole in the narrative. I don't. Yeah. Anyways, we can get off a vaccine. It's really not that important.
1: It's just odd.
0: It's just really odd. Now, just to give a bit of context, uh, let's see. We checked in at 1853 vaccination mandatory in Britain. In 1854, a doctor named John Snow proposed uh, something called germ theory, Mm -hmm. which was that he figured, hey, maybe it's not miasmas that's making us sick or curses curses well the, you know they were off the curses but still things like vapors or mm-hmm. yeah anyways all, all of that nonsense he said hey maybe it's these you know we're, we're at a point where we've got magnification we've got microscopes yeah. he's like well what about these single celled organisms called bacteria yeah. maybe that's what's doing it john snow was actually involved in a um in in tracking down the source of uh Cholera outbreak, which is a really interesting story that we don't have time to get into. Mm-hmm. Basically, he proved germ-, germ theory by being able to trace a cholera outbreak back to a source, which was a single well. Yeah. When everyone was basically telling him, uh, it's the bad air." <laughs> <laughs> Still, germ theory took a while to, to kind of take hold. Mm-hmm. It was helped along by Louis Pasteur, who was working through the 1860s. Right. Again. I want to remind you, this is after we've not only developed a vaccine for uh, smallpox, but actually yeah. made it mandatory in a, in a number of places. Yeah. I bring this up because how did we manage to pull that off? Like, we did a really good job. Go yeah. go, human beings.
2: Yeah.
0: All through observation. All through observation. You know, a couple of lucky breaks, but really working carefully with the disease, watching what happens, and trying to understand what exactly was going on there because, again, devastating. Can't overstate that enough. Absolutely devastating. Yeah. In 1867, again, just for point of interest, a doctor named Joseph Lister suggested disinfecting your hands before performing surgery for better results. Up until this time, surgeons... Good
2: thinking.
0: Well, they washed their hands after to get yeah. all the gunk off from the surgery.
1: Oh, gunk. <laughs> all the viscera.
0: Surgeons at this point in time would put their, you know, their 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 clothes on in the morning. And they wouldn't change them throughout the day, like their aprons, their surgical aprons. Because the more bloodstained they were, like, the like more surgeries they had done. Like, it was a point of pride to be covered. Oh. And Joseph Lister was all, hey, let's maybe scrub our hands down with some with some uh disinfectant before we go rooting around in there maybe people will get less infections maybe one
1: day a mouthwash will be named after
0: me it absolutely was named after him that's 100 percent true he did not develop it but it was named after him (laughs) that's what you get when you're the father of modern surgery you get a mouthwash (laughs) named after you
1: horrible advertising with
0: your name in it. And several uh, viruses and fungi, I'd <laughs> learned while looking up Joseph Lister. Ah, <laughs> oh, the perks. Again, I, I bring this all to your attention because that happened after. Like We're, we're, yeah. we're on our way out on smallpox already and we're yeah. just figuring out to wash our hands. <laughs> and, the,
1: and we've accomplished all this other stuff.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. It's, it's really, really interesting to me that we got we were that good. We Mm -hmm. were good on it. By 1897, smallpox was eradicated in the U.S. And I say eradicated with huge scare quotes because it kept popping up in certain spots, but those were considered more outbreaks and less like a a systemic thing.
2: Yeah.
0: It wasn't present there. There were breaks in the continuum of Mm -hmm. smallpox. Generally, when you saw outbreaks, it was because somebody had come from overseas bringing smallpox with them.
2: Right.
0: Because... Here's another really interesting thing about smallpox. There's no such thing as a carrier for smallpox. Now, a carrier is someone who is infected with a virus, but Mm -hmm. shows none of the symptoms. Okay. They make things really difficult for trying to work with anything to do with with epidemics, because it's really hard to trace a disease through someone who's a carrier, Mm -hmm. because... They, may, they, they probably themselves never knew that they ever had the disease. Yeah. Have you heard of Typhoid Mary?
1: I have. I, I feel like she probably had typhoid and infected a lot of people with typhoid it. Typhoid Mary
0: was a cook. She was a, like the, the kind of cook where you like hired her to come to your household mm-hmm. and cook for you. Typhoid Mary was a carrier of typhoid yes. fever. And this was in around like the 1910 mm-hmm. area if I remember correctly. She would get hired on as a cook and when you're cooking stuff you're putting your hands and stuff and you're, you know.
2: Yeah.
0: And she was infecting families with typhoid fever Mm -hmm. and they were getting sick and dying and no one could figure it out and finally they figured, like, you know, like the the New York Public Health Department figured out, they finally traced it back to her and they were like, oh, she's a carrier, that's what's going on here Mm -hmm. and they, you know, they quarantined her on an island for a while Uh and they like, made her promise never to work as a cook again. Yeah. She didn't believe that She was the source of the sickness. Yeah. She washed her hands lots and she figured that should do it. She's not a dirty person, so she couldn't possibly be giving these people disease. And this is at a time where the idea of what makes you sick is, you know, if something's filthy, that makes you sick. Yeah. Or if you go out in the cold night air, that'll make you sick. Mm -hmm. Or if there's miasma, that will make you sick. She's going, I'm not sick. There's there's nothing, Mm -hmm. like, I'm not doing this. What are you talking about? And they're like... Mary, you're a carrier. This is what, you know, laying it out. We
1: connected some dots, Mary.
0: She's laying it out and she's going like, I don't think that's a thing. And again, I, you know, I'd like to assume that I'd do better, but I don't know.
1: No. I
0: might have found a different job, but like, I'm not sure I would be able to make that, that kind
1: of responsibility
0: yeah 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 get that 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 idea in my head that like no i was the source of that even though i was never sick myself yeah i can see having a hard time with that when germ theory is really not that new
2: mm-hmm.
0: or really really not that old and um and and you know is is happening typhoid mary was not of uh, a, a higher class of people she was not well educated yeah. she was not familiar with the work of louis pasteur <laughs> So I, I get I get why it takes a while for stuff like that to catch on. So mm-hmm. even though germ theory is discovered already, it takes a long time for it to sort of supplant the common notion of what illness is.
2: Yeah,
0: We're into the 20th century now, and we're still de- dealing with miasmas to some extent. It's a process. It's a process, man. So at the end of the 19th century, we get a guy named Sidney Arthur Monckton-Copeman, who discovers a way to isolate... Uh, the virus mm-hmm. in a glycerin solution. And this did two things. First, it isolated the virus from all the other... Well, from a bunch of the other really nasty stuff that can come along with it. Yeah. Because producing a vaccine is still a matter of they gave cowpox to a a cow and then harvested from the pox on the yeah. cow. I mean, that's, it's, pretty, it's pretty down and dirty.
1: Yeah, it doesn't seem... No. Doesn't seem like they had this really perfectly sorted out.
0: <laughs> there were some improvements to be made. So, this helped to get rid of some of the impurities, mm-hmm. if we want to call it that, in a very like arm's length version of what's going on here. Cow gunk. That'll do as well. It also allowed the vaccine to be stored for longer amounts of time. So, you didn't have to like harvest it and like go administer it right away, mm-hmm. which are both very important things, especially for just getting the vaccine out there because not everyone has a cowpox infected cow sitting in the back of their practice ready to be harvested by the mid-1910s smallpox was gone from much of europe again you get your little outbreaks here and there Mm -hmm. but because there's no carriers as we talked about before there has to be like an unbroken string of people with smallpox yeah it's pretty easy to trace when there is or isn't smallpox in an area Mm -hmm. it doesn't just go dormant the other thing is it's not carried by any animals
1: right
0: so where you have things like the the plague where you've got transmission from rats and fleas and all that to human beings yeah and it seems to basically materialize out of nowhere Mm -hmm. smallpox has lost that ability thousands of years ago it only exists in human beings Mm -hmm. this is the ideal situation for eradicating a disease yeah One of the things i've always wondered about personally about in regards to smallpox is okay well if we got rid of smallpox why haven't we gotten rid of polio why haven't we gotten rid of yellow fever why haven't we gotten rid of like there's there's so many other diseases out there why haven't we gotten rid of measles yeah Um, it's like man if we did it with smallpox like aren't we good like don't we know how to do it now yeah it turns out that as much as smallpox was the perfect human disease in terms of propagating itself it's also kind of the perfect disease to set itself up to be eradicated. yeah, in that you always know if you have it. Mm-hmm. And if you know that somebody has it, you can isolate it.
2: Yeah.
0: So if that, between that and the extremely high success rate of vaccination. Mm-hmm. Now the, the vaccine, let's let's be clear. One, one dose of vaccine is not going to protect you for life. Mm-hmm. Um, it does require a booster. Yeah. And even then, it's one of those things where it'll, like, protect you for, like, 40 or 50 years or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're ever going into a situation where you're going to be exposed to, to smallpox, you would probably want to get further boosters throughout your life. But most people, two shots of this thing, you get to go. Yeah. it's It's enough immunity to carry you throughout your life. Especially when, really, ideally, a vaccine shouldn't be there as a shield between you and a disease Mm -hmm. a vaccine should be a tool with which a disease is slowly reduced from a population yeah and again we're talking about things on a less individualistic level Mm -hmm. where because i mean when i think about getting a vaccine i'm going like man i don't want that disease give me that vaccine yeah but that's not really what we're looking at doing with Mm -hmm. vaccines i mean that's part of it but we also want to just stop the disease get it out of the population yeah and vaccine is the best way to do that. But we'll come back to that a little bit uh, in a little bit more detail in a couple of minutes. I wanted to mention a couple more things that came about in terms of technology for the vaccine. In the late 1940s, a doctor, Leslie Collier, developed a freeze-drying method that kept the vaccine potent even in hot climates. Right. They were running into a big problem where heat destroys the vaccine. Yeah. It just it won't last. There's no... Like, you can't carry it in a... Again, we've got refrigeration now, but not portable. No. So it's one thing to vaccinate people in the United States or in Mm -hmm. Germany or even in uh, even in China. There's another to be bringing that to, say, for example, Brazil, where it held out for a long time, where it's a tropical climate, Mm -hmm. where the vaccine does not last for a long time. And even if you're harvesting it directly there and administering it as quickly as possible, there can be some degradation of the quality of vaccine that you're delivering. Yeah. Because it just doesn't stand up to heat. Right. What Dr. Collier developed was a way to take the viral material freeze dry it so it was basically completely inert mm-hmm. and the vaccine basically became something that you mixed on the spot so it was the inert virus mm-hmm. being mixed into a carrier and then administered immediately so there's no concerns like it doesn't need to be refrigerated to keep the 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 lifespan long mm-hmm. it's not going to be destroyed by heat which means that you can carry a whole bunch of vaccine in with you to tropical climates which yeah. is kind of at this point by the 1940s where smallpox is holding out we've right. really pushed it back
1: mm-hmm. you said Brazil was one of the main holdouts
0: yeah that whole band of, of uh, Brazil Colombia that the uh, equatorial South America mm-hmm. was really bad in In the 1950s there was a call to eradicate it from the the from the hemisphere that worked really well everywhere but in the especially tropical areas right in the 1950s there were still like we're still talking about an estimated 50 million cases a year
2: mm-hmm.
0: that's like that's a lot of people that's a lot less than it used to be but it's still a lot of people it's still a lot of pox in 1958 the world health organization was approached by a soviet doctor uh, viktor zdanov who basically said listen let's let's get this whole thing wrapped up mm-hmm. we've got the vaccine we've got the ability to transport it to tropical climates there's no reason that we need to go on like in a world with smallpox we yeah. have everything that we need to wipe this thing out mm-hmm. it doesn't have carriers it doesn't have animal hosts it uh we have a vaccine that not only inoculates people from getting it in the future but can actually treat the disease if it's in progress if caught early enough yeah let's let's do this and the world health organization which was a fairly new thing at this point in time went okay yeah you're right we should I, I mean, I, Put I said that. Effort. I said that. I said that as though they said it, they they agreed begrudgingly. I don't think yeah. anyone was arguing against eradicating smallpox.
2: Yeah,
0: smallpox is one of those things where you're not going to find anyone that's going to be like I'm for it. You know. <laughs> in the 1960s, a doctor named Benjamin Rubin developed uh, the bifurcated needle. It's a needle with with two points, mm-hmm. and it acts like uh, like a fountain pen, basically. So you dip it in the in the vaccine yeah. and it's got vaccine in the in the space between the two little points. Okay. And you just jab the the arm a bunch of times in one spot. Okay. And it's about it's about a dozen to 15 times they have to fun. poke the person.
1: Fun. More fun than M- smallpox. More boxes. fun than smallpox. Yeah.
0: And I mean again, they'll get the blister and it'll raise and it'll scar over and it'll fall off and mm-hmm. you're done with the thing. This was important for a few reasons. Number one, it wasn't a a hollow needle. Mm-hmm. Hollow needles are really expensive to produce and really difficult to sterilize. Right. Bifurcated needle is just a piece of metal. Like there's no there's no inner tube or anything like no. that. So they're very cheap to produce. It was about five dollars per thousand. And they're, they're the little That's pieces of metal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're little pieces of metal. They're they're very very cheap. Uh, also, they can be sterilized with fire. Basically, take a blowtorch to it, and it's fine. Because there's no inner, there's no inside to it that needs to be gotten to. Mm-hmm. You just sterilize the outside and you're good to use it again. So they're reusable. Finally, that method of using the uh, the bifurcated needle to draw the the vaccine meant that you needed about to produce about a quarter as much vaccine uh, as you would for a standard needle. Like it, it uses that much less mm-hmm. because it draws an appropriate dose. There's waste the other way. Yeah. So... This was basically the tool of the World Health Organization for the next 20 years or so.
1: And when did it show up? It showed 50s?
0: In the early 1960s. 60s, okay. Yep. In 1967, the, there, there was like an official campaign that was set up with a, uh, with a director, a, a doctor named Donald Henderson, that was basically tasked with, okay, we're going to find the most remote places in the world that still possess any traces of smallpox, and we're going to stamp it out. They use something called ring vaccination Mm -hmm. to contain it. And this is something that, I mean, they're working with local health organizations as well. Like it's not as though there's this like daring team of 20 men that are going (laughs) around and taking out all the smallpox. They they would move around and set up programs and teach people how to vaccinate properly and things like that. Mm. But what they would do is there's a case of smallpox in, you know, village a, they would go to the village. Mm. They would go, okay, first of all, is it, you know, Are we early enough that we can vaccinate this person? If yes, give them the vaccine to treat them. If no, I hope they did okay. There's not much we can do, really. Mm -hmm. But then they go, okay, who has had even the remotest possibility of contact with this person in the last two weeks? Mm -hmm. And they vaccinated every single one of those people. So that if they hadn't gotten smallpox, now they were uh, immune to it. Mm -hmm. And if they had got smallpox... Well, they had just treated their smallpox as best they could, and at least they would be immune after they had gone through the hopefully less severe process.
2: Yeah.
0: And that's it. That's as far as that vector of smallpox goes, because it can't go to a carrier that they didn't notice. Mm-hmm. It can't go to an animal host. Yeah. It's done. It's yeah. There's an unbroken line of that smallpox going back 3,000 years to some human being that's picked it up, and it just ended. You just stopped it right there. Right. I'm making stopping smallpox sound easier than it is. (laughs) It was an incredible undertaking. It was fairly expensive. Most of the vaccine initially was donated by the United States and by the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. Again, nobody's on smallpox's side. It makes you look really good (laughs) to donate a bunch of smallpox vaccine to the World Health Organization. There was a lot of resistance to this in India. Partially because, well, variolation had been going on for so long there. That basically the way that vaccination was introduced to India for most of the population was that the you know at that time uh, ruling British elite came to them and said, "Hey, we figured out this thing called vaccination. Mm -hmm. You're going to do that now so that you don't get smallpox."
1: Hold still.
0: And they went, "I don't know about this." Yeah, I, I can understand a level of mistrust for that system. Um, so there's a combination of, of resistance to change and uh, the the colonial overtones that go hand in hand with that.
1: I was going to say a little bit of resentment
2: lingering.
0: Oh, so so much, which means that it took a long time to wipe out of India. I mean, you know, places like China were were fairly okay with the vaccination process. They just wanted smallpox gone. With India, there is a much more cultural aspect to it. Yeah, but. Throughout the, uh, the late 60s and the early 70s, they, they pushed through with this ring vaccination mm-hmm. protocol, and it was extremely successful. The uh, last case of variola major, so the severe form of yep. smallpox, was in Bangladesh in 1975. It was a two-year-old girl, uh, Rahima Banu, and she survived, which is great. Well done. And she was the last natural case of, of smallpox. Uh, in 1977, it was the last natural occurring case of smallpox minor, variola minor, in yeah. uh, in Somalia. Also survived, which is much easier to do than the major form. Yeah. Um, I forgot to mention in ni- in in North America, it was a little bit easier to eradicate because variola minor actually became the dominant form of smallpox there, right? Because settlers started variolating so early in the settlement process, right? And because variola minor is so much less severe it mm-hmm. tends to be an ambulatory disease so you're walking around with your variola minor yeah. infecting more people mm-hmm. and variola major killed so many people that it kind of killed itself off and variola yeah. minor stayed the the more dominant form so even in north america for us to talk about smallpox we tend to be like if, if anyone has any sort of memory of this whatsoever mm-hmm. they're thinking of the minor form they're which are
1: the better pox
0: the one that people uh, intentionally gave themselves yeah to not get the other one yeah yeah so that really helped with the eradication in the in North America, mm-hmm. uh, just not having to deal with the major form. In 1980, the uh, World Health Organization issued a statement, having considered the development and results of the global program on smallpox eradication, uh, we do declare solemnly that the world and its peoples have won freedom from smallpox which was a most devastating disease sweeping in epidemic form through many countries since earliest time, leaving death, blindness, and disfigurement in its wake, and which only a decade ago was rampant in Africa, Asia, and South America. It's the way it starts. It goes on from there. Yeah. It was a big deal, and I can't continue to overstate that enough.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, I, 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 I really wonder what it would be like to be inside the heads of those doctors when they basically went, wait. It's done. I think like, we got it's it. It's gone. Yeah. They spent over two years verifying that that 77 case was the last naturally occurring case, mm-hmm. because you want to be sure before you make say, a call like really that. You really want
1: to be sure before you have a declaration. But
0: smallpox is gone. There was another death. In 1978, a, uh, a medical photographer named Janet Parker was photographing a sample of smallpox at yeah. Birmingham University in the UK. Oh, no. There was an accident. Uh, no. She contracted variola major, and she died. Um, lab director Professor Henry Bedson ended up committing suicide afterwards. <sighs> yeah, it's it, there's nothing fun about that story at all. I mean, no. it was gone. It was gone from the world, and he was responsible for... A, and i i don't know the details of it i it wasn't really it wasn't his fault it was his responsibility yeah and it it ate him up understandably um, yeah that's it's it's supposed to be done so i mean yeah,
1: it's just a sort of a Tragic footnote on the whole story. More or less.
0: It, it What it did do was it prompted the moving of all remaining samples to a fairly small number of facilities. Yeah. Uh, there are two World Health Organization labs that have samples. Mm-hmm. The CDC has samples and a Russian medical facility has samples. So basically what happened, you can see there, is Cold War politics at work. The, yeah. the UN got two, the US got one, and the Soviet Union got one. Yeah. And as far as we know, that's where all the smallpox is. I say that because it's happened a couple of times where it's turned up other places. Somebody found a Civil War diary that contained smallpox scabs, like in a like oh. a little envelope that was like as a as a sample. I
1: was gonna say it's a charming. I mean, memento. it's
0: it's it's you know far and away dead by now. Yeah. But Like, can you imagine being like opening a book and being like, oh, what's this? <laughs> oh, it's smallpox. Good. <laughs>
1: But take take this on antiques roadshow.
0: On a less humorous note, last July, July 2014, several vials of it were found in an FDA lab. Really? Yep.
1: Just found.
0: Yep. Yep. At the national what is it, the National Institute of Health or whatever? NIH. Yeah.
1: So I mean someone just screwed up with the labeling. This is
0: the kind of thing that make people concerned about Smallpox being used as a biological weapon. Yeah, when they turn up places.
1: <laughs> really, really, you should you should know where you're gonna find smallpox at this point. Yeah, it should be turning up anywhere.
0: We we haven't even really been wide uh, uh, vaccinating widely since 1985 or so. Mm-hmm. Military personnel and medical personnel still will get smallpox vaccines, especially if they're going to an area. Where they think it's slightly more likely that they might be exposed to it, mm-hmm. but it's very precautionary at this point. No yeah. one actually expects smallpox to show up, so yeah, it's it's gone. I mean, it's it's a huge success story, and that's yeah. that's part of the reason why I wanted to talk about it as well. It it had devastating impacts at so many points along history, but we managed to beat it, and that's an incredibly positive thing. Um, we got lucky in some ways.
1: I was gonna say it's it's it's. It's an unlikely story.
0: It had to hit some very definite beats in order for it to turn out the way that it did. Mm -hmm. And I don't think anyone's sorry that we got lucky those ways. Mm -hmm. It's, I I mean, just the idea of having that hanging over your head, one in three, is just incomprehensible. Raised quality of life like you wouldn't have. I wouldn't imagine it's it's mm-hmm. i i mean this is the sort of thing where you look at stats from the middle ages and you see that like life expectancy was 34 it's not that everyone was dying at 34 it's that yeah. everyone was getting smallpox or everyone was you know dying of the measles before age five or yeah. you know it's it's these horrible diseases that mm-hmm. uh that we've figured out how to prevent that's yeah. really really positive i mean it's easy to get bogged down in history on mm-hmm. the negatives and like the terrible stuff that we've done to each other yeah and even in this story of the terrible stuff that smallpox has done to us Mm -hmm. sometimes intentionally usually not yeah it's it's nice to acknowledge that no we got some we got some positive trends going on here Mm -hmm. our understanding of smallpox led to development of immunization of lots of other diseases i mean in the 1860s, like just after germ theory was really discovered,
2: mm-hmm.
0: the idea of inoculating against smallpox was what was giving Louis Pasteur the idea to work on things like the rabies vaccine. Yeah, I mean, it it's it's fundamental to our understanding of the transmission of disease today. Yeah, we learned all of that from smallpox the hard way.
1: Mm-hmm. I do think it's interesting that that it does come back. It is relatable in terms of a human story. Like a lot of it was people being feeling compelled to protect their children. I mean, that's something people...
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's that push and pull, too, on on public opinion, where there's the desperation to protect your loved ones from a terrible disease, but there's also this resistance to anything new and difficult to understand. And, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's... that's, We know that we haven't gotten rid of that. I mean, it's in the news every day these days, right? I mean, that's the reason we have measles back. Mm -hmm. Things like vaccines work... Because of things like ring immunization, yeah. by stopping things at the source, by not allowing it to spread through the population. When yeah. it's spreading through the population, that's where you run into trouble. Yeah. The idea behind herd immunity isn't that you know, as long as ninety percent of people are vaccinated, the other ten percent will get it. I can get do it. whatever I want. Yeah. It's the idea that the ten percent who can't be vaccinated get to hide behind this protective wall mm-hmm. of all these other people who are a stopping point for this virus.
2: Yeah.
0: It's not an individualistic thing. It's a communal thing. It's a mm-hmm. societal thing, yeah and that's—I think—that's one thing that that is is poorly understood about vaccines today. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's not just about you, and it's not just about your kids. It's about all of us. Yeah. Um, and that's really important. I thought I'd drop one more number on you before we closed. In the twentieth century, so you're starting in nineteen,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and when we're talking about the twentieth century, we're talking. About Up until 1977, because that's when the disease ended. Yeah. Between 1900 and 1977, there were between 300 and 500 million deaths from smallpox. That's more than both world wars combined, by a long shot.
2: Yeah.
0: It's more than were killed in the uh, Spanish flu epidemic. Although that was much shorter. I mean, we're talking about a couple of years span there. It's... I, I I think that one hit me hardest because you think of the 20th century. I, I was alive yeah. in the 20th century. Yeah. The 20th century isn't a, a time where we're supposed to live lose half a billion people to a disease that we have cured now. Mm-hmm. That's... I I, I I can't really wrap my head around that one.
1: I, I'm in a similar spot here because it's like, you know, after we got to a certain point, it seemed you know like a straight trajectory to eradicating the disease but you know sure it's still had a pretty massive toll quite recently
0: i think the point is that there were 300 to 500 million deaths despite everything that we did to prevent it exactly and I, I i don't have a ton of comment on that mostly because i have trouble comprehending it myself but i think it's i think it's important to to realize what it is exactly that people went through mm-hmm to, to or, or why they went through so much to stop this disease I mean it isn't as though we picked one that kind of sucked and said ah this one looks like we might be able to stop it yeah this is probably the worst infectious disease that we encountered naturally
1: and it's closer than we than we think much in terms of
0: in terms of scale, absolutely yeah. our, our parents were alive when smallpox was in the world
1: mm-hmm.
0: that's kind of messed up indeed <laughs> I think that's kind of messed up sums up most of my sentiment on this topic
1: yeah this has been a kind of messed up topic
0: i stand by the grossest one it's going to be the grossest one for a while
1: I, i i i hope it i hope it holds that place
0: but i really enjoyed going over this stuff today it was really uh as 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 much as the word fun isn't often thrown around vote smallpox. I, I had a lot of fun talking about this.
1: It's certainly been illuminating.
0: It's a very interesting topic. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. As grim as this story was when we started out, smallpox is about success. It's a time in our history where, as a species, we took on a force greater than all of us and were successful in improving the quality of life for everyone. And it's an important story to remember because it contains difficult lessons within it that no matter how strong the efforts of unusual individuals, there needs to be an overwhelming societal force to affect change, that we can be slow to accept new ideas even when they're incredibly beneficial in hindsight, and that even something as hard to understand and as invisible as a virus can leave an indelible mark on our story. We shouldn't forget the struggle to eradicate smallpox because in a long history of people getting things wrong, it's important to take note of things we did right. Next time on H I 101 we'll be talking about the fall of the Republic. That episode will be up April 1st. As the format of this show inevitably leads to factual errors, I encourage you to visit hi101.ca and check out the corrections posted there. That's hi101.ca. If there are any errors I haven't addressed there, please let me know and I'll add them to the notes. And remember, HI101 is a broad introduction. If the subject we've discussed today has caught your attention, I encourage you to look for more information. It only gets better from here. I'm Adam Blesky, and this has been HI101. Thank you.